Hello everyone and welcome to Under 30, a podcast brought to you by the partnership between the European Commission and the Council of Europe in the field of youth. I'm Ismail Pais Civico and together with Tania Basarab we will be hosting this episode. We hope you enjoy. In this episode, we would like to take our listeners back to the COVID-19 Knowledge Hub. It's something we have been developing since the onset of the pandemic. And as part of that project, we are moving on to try to understand what have been the lessons, what has been the impact, but also what can we draw forward. And uh, today we have invited Rosanna Ivanian, one of the authors of uh, a study on young people's access to youth services during COVID-19 pandemic, and Rares Kreyuts from the European Confederation of Youth Clubs, which of course uh, did a lot uh, in terms of offering services to young people during that period. So we'll be discussing the findings of the research and the perspective of um, the organizations. And I hand over to Ismail to take us through the floor. Hello, everyone, and thank you very much, Radish and uh, Rosanna, for for being here with us uh, in today's podcast. I would uh, I would firstly like to ask both of you to to present yourselves and see a bit what your professional background is, what your um, involvement with this topic specifically is. Of course, I mean we know someone was part of the research in itself, and Radish has big experience uh, in the field. So maybe we can maybe start with uh, with Rosanna if you would like to to present yourselves and uh, or yourself and your involvement with this topic that we are covering today. Mm-hmm. Okay, my name is Rosanna Ivanian, and um, I was doing the research on the topic together with my colleague Dunya Patochnik. Uh, so from the very beginning, I was very interested to understand better uh, what is um, happening with access to youth services during pandemic, because I was also involved in different activities uh, on social rights and access to youth services can be seen as also access to social rights for young people. Uh, so my interest was based on my personal interest, but also on my willingness to contribute to better understanding of what's going on with uh, services for young people in such a particular difficult moment for all of us. Perfect. Thank you very much. And uh, Radish, what's your, what's your involvement with this topic a little bit? What's your background? Yeah, <clears throat> so thank you very much for the Isvelde um, and Tanya for the invitation and the moderation and proposing this topic and Rosanna for working on it. Um, so I work for the European Confederation of Youth Clubs. This is like a pan-European organization dedicated to youth work in youth clubs. And um, yeah, I think like anyone, we don't need to have like any kind of special qualifications. We were all busy with the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, yes, so were uh, youth clubs and other forms of neighborhood uh, work. And we still are pretty much busy. The COVID-19 pandemic has not passed. We're just maybe better equipped and uh, it has had time to become a bit old news, but we are still pretty much in a pandemic world. 
And um, I think one of the things that we did and I can reflect on is the um, fact that we had a, like a crisis group or a task force, which we were running during the pandemic. So, yeah, this is something that was interesting for me to also from our findings or from our discussions we used to had the task force is no longer active or very rarely active uh, it was interesting to read the study perfect thank you very much for for those very nice introductions and a bit what you explained very well what your involvement was with the with this issue when it came to covid19 and the and the access let's say for uh, for youth activities in a more general sense so I would like to ask what a very general question to both of you, and then please reply what you might think is the best answer on, on your side and with your experience. Um, so I would like to know a bit what were the main consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic for young people. Of course, we know most of them. We have covered them before on this podcast. But I want to have a specific your perspective on all of this. And why did this medical emergency, let's say, mainly affect those with less opportunities when it came uh, to these kind of access to activities for young people? Maybe Rosanna, if you could, if, if you'd like to start, maybe um, basing yourself on the research. Mm -hmm, with pleasure. Uh, so I think that uh, from my perspective, uh, people who had uh, poor or less sustainable access to social rights during the COVID pandemic, they, they access get even worse. Uh, so the most vulnerable suffered the most. And uh, this is one point uh, that I saw, and the other point that, uh, that I saw, which is relevant, that the basic understanding of what access to youth services mean also changed. Uh, and it changed not only technically, so it's not about only digitalization of youth services, but it's much more. So now, uh, talking about access to youth services, we you know, mean not only different um, technical uh, things, different technical approaches, but also different uh, quality. And uh, it's actually the pandemic made us to reflect about what 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 it means actually access to youth services during uh, the crisis moments and how it transforms and why you know people with less opportunities they get even even less opportunities and they are the first ones who disappear uh, and of course um, the success to youth services overlapped with the notions of affordability inclusion active or proactive approach of uh, youth services um, so it's, it's a lot of new issues arise from this story, and so I think it's uh, still a lot to for us to learn and to research. Perfect. And Radish, a bit of your perspective on uh, on that same question. Yeah. So I I think that the issue is and and what we saw very much is the fact that young people are actually not prioritized so young people uh, we can really in some cases describe them as a vulnerable or disadvantaged group or however you want to call it whatever kind of uh, terms you want to attach to it and and the pandemic really again brought this up that being a young person is difficult and I can say that we saw in, in some cases, okay, that the youth organization were also not uh, prioritized. So from one day to the other, youth clubs, like other services, had to close down. But this with very difficult consequences for young people 
who need spaces, who need safe spaces to meet and who need to socialize and uh, who need to have uh, yeah, all kinds of learning experiences. But I think we also saw that just like in the social sphere, also at home, sometimes young people were not prioritized. A lot of emphasis, and probably Rosanna will talk more about this, but a lot of emphasis, for instance, was put on digitalization, you know, as an alternative to uh, socializing or participating uh, in the activities almost in the same way. But if you have one computer at home, as a young person, you're not prioritized. Maybe your parents, they need to work remotely. Or if you get some some digital time, it's probably to do homework or other kinds of activities. So thinking back in, in retrospect, of course, some things were pretty intense, not just for youth work in general, but also for other types of services. But also it really took a long time until the impossibility of like trying to come back to normal was acknowledged yeah, publicly that, yes, it's not as easy as it seems. So with this actually quite a good landscape of what were the challenges or the impact levels that the two of you mentioned, how do you feel that there were, what, what did you see were the most interesting changes or adaptations? Rosanna, you mentioned, for example, that uh, we had to question what is youth services and adapt that a lot. So that would be interesting to see what you found out, especially because you talked to at least five European organizations and their members. So it was also applied research. You talk to the people who actually ran programs, coordinated and so on. Yes, indeed. Our research was combined of desk research, but also um, interviews, in-depth interviews with practitioners from five organizations. So uh, what, what I could realize from interviewing uh, the representatives of this organization that they, uh, on one hand, they used all potential that they had before. So all those who were already doing some digital work, they strengthened this. But I also realized that uh, many of them, they had to invent on sport new approaches, for example, producing uh, uh, online card or digital card instead of plastic one, uh, which ACA did or doing more outdoor education when it was possible to do and more different activities uh, on open air. So people, youth workers were uh, hanging and doing some activities with young people outdoor because when, when it was still allowed because it was uh, also not uh, fully <laughs> fully closed uh, period. So what, what else I saw, I saw a lot of attempts to reshape the non-formal education in a new in a new setting using uh, the different forms of digital learning, online learning, and there was a huge discussion about how it can be transformed to digital space without losing its key features and key important principles. And uh, I saw that youth workers, they were trying, and youth organizations, youth services were trying to do their best to continue the work that they do, but also to innovate it, and they attempt to make the success uh, easier was quite evident, so they were using different different things and different approaches, and sometimes it was not um, very very well reflected. It, it was not proper reflected upon. Uh, it was not proper valued, I would say. 
Thank you, Rosanna. And uh, Rarish, you mentioned uh, in terms of challenges that um, ISIC had set up a crisis group. And also both of you mentioned earlier that, in fact, the impact was to such extent that many young people felt abandoned or not important because the policymakers and decision makers focused on other age categories, on protection, on closing down and, and setting kind of creating more distance between people. And that's not something that we in the youth sector are somehow familiar with, or at least that's not something we promote. We promote networking, contact, learning together, exchange and growing uh, and so on. So how do you see after two years of all these changes and adaptations, what do you see was interesting in ISIC as a, as a change after these two years? Yes, thank you. So just for a little bit of background, I want to contextualize, and of course, you know that the pandemic crisis evolved. So it, it, COVID measures were not the same. They changed over time. So in the beginning, for instance, where we were having our like COVID task force, or it was more like a crisis group because youth clubs got closed from one day to the other. And, and youth workers were... On the one hand, okay, everybody was, from whatever profession you were, we were a bit scared and confused. But then with time, youth workers were more and more confused because measured measures were delayed. So we didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. It was just clear you cannot hold gatherings of in-person people of any kind of age, and then uh, basically being told, okay, you should be creative and adapt to the new digital uh, world and and do the same but different. So our group, I think the, the task force, at some point, it really looked like a support group. So people were coming online, meeting, and everybody saying, oh, yes, I'm a youth worker and my uh, youth club got closed down. And now I don't know what to do. I know that the young people are uh, that I work with are affected by this. Uh, mental and emotional well-being is a big issue, but we don't have the resources. They don't have at home. We don't have with the youth club. This doesn't just mean computers. This also means knowledge, adapt. Adapting, yeah. And so people were under a lot of stress, youth workers and and the young people. And then it was also coming into like legal limbo. So legislation kept changing and it was varied and sometimes it was confusing or not clearly communicated what you could do as we're slowly opening up and we can slowly meet again in person, what you could do changed there some were good ideas some not so favorable to young people so it was i think for the task force for this for this crisis group it was really good as a support measure because to meet other people and to see that somebody from bosnia herzegovina has the same problem as somebody from norway has the same problem that you're having maybe in Cyprus, it was it was kind of yeah, it was kind of helpful, e even if it was not a concrete measure, but it was a support for youth workers. 
And then, of course, there were networks that were exchanging information, learning from each other who's using what, who's using, I don't know, Gather Town and who's going to Discord and quickly learning from each other how these platforms and these tools are being used. I also have to say that at some point I I personally got a bit tired with this idea that, again, use services and young people, they need to be innovative, you know. Again, we had to be innovative with very little budgets or like creative problem solving. And it would have been nice if it was creative problem solving, but with crisis budgets, you know, because it meant really changing a youth club from one day to another. And it was very, very difficult. And there were some congratulatory moments in public discourse about how well uh, youth services are adapting, but the budgets didn't really, didn't really follow. And then we could also see in the discussions, for instance, in the task force in ISIC, we could see that after a while, measures were not necessarily describing always a new way of doing youth work, but something that looked like a new young person or the profile of a new young person, like a, a new young person that can do without, for instance, experiential learning, which is something that really happens in, in youth clubs. So a young person that can do with a, a young person that can do without person to person interaction. So without socializing, which we know is very important. So especially in person at that age. Thank you very much, Rares, for that in-depth question. And, 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 it, and it's good that you actually already started speaking about uh, the evolution, let's say, of the youth services and the youth sector throughout the pandemic and the kind of innovative side uh, that young people had to have during these times. And my next question is a bit twofold, and I think maybe the first part will be more directed towards Rosanna, maybe the second towards Rares, of course, but then uh, feel free to, to reply to both if, if you would like. So now maybe to Rosanna, I mean, we see that after these couple of years with the experience gathered and the findings of your research in some sense, do we have a different understanding now of what might be youth services and, and how they can be accessed uh, from young people after everything that has happened uh, in these past few years. And now the second part, which again, you can also answer, but I think it's maybe more directed towards Radish, is it do understand it better now? Let's say, what is that? And do we think that the youth sector is resilient enough if any future crises might occur? So we've, we've seen the, <laughs> how we've managed to adapt in lots of senses, but what do you think is still needed to be done? Or do you think... Uh, we have gotten there pretty um, uh, pretty well. So, Rosanna, please feel free to, to start and then we can pass on the ball to, to Rares. Uh, I think uh, one of the outcomes is that um, youth services, they become more aware about the all possible ways how access can be damaged or how it can be weakened. So this awareness grew, uh, to my point of view. And what I also saw that uh, many, there is a lot of discussion now about updating this competence framework of youth workers, and some of you know big organizations they did it and they pay, they pay more attention to digital competence of youth workers, but also to the ability of uh, you know strengthen the access when <laughs> when uh, there are the gaps in the success and. Uh, also to 
to uh, how how to adapt services to use vulnerabilities. So I definitely see some changes. For me, the what what I see they are mainly connected with is digitalization in use work. And for me, one of the things which is still stays aside is actually uh, ability to develop flexible. Uh, flexible frames for not one-time solution, but rather for for different situations that may happen and that may potentially damage the access. So, for example, not only to do to, to switch directly to digital uh, use work, but mainly to open some other doors and windows. And I also saw that a lot of uh, cooperation and communication goes between the organizations, and especially in networks, in umbrella associations, and they create. The online hubs, they present good practices, how to improve the access to services. And this networking with a particular focus on access to services, I also find very important. And uh, I think it's uh, something that uh, also about raising professional discussion in a professional community, which is already a good moment and a good start uh, for the further development. But uh, it's also what's also became evident is that um, there is a deficit of services and this deficit should be somehow closed and the research probably and data collection on the effects of pandemic on these services should be initiated in order to understand what the gaps are. So Radish, so after all of that, after Rosanna's intervention and the second part of my question, let's say, have we understood a little bit better what the EU sector is capable of and do we think it is resilient enough maybe if future crises might occur or maybe you would like to add also on what is a, a use services at this point maybe with the digital side of things that we have seen has helped to mitigate a bit the impact of COVID-19. Yeah, but um, yeah, so the youth sector is resilient, you know, and because we always have to do with little to no budget huh? and this is why i was also expressing this kind of lit- slight exasperation toward this like getting a pat on the back because we're creative problem solvers we always are and always have to be because otherwise we are going to fail uh, young people or young people won't have the activities that they need so i think we should yeah, we should say, uh, yes, we are resilient and yes, we are creative problem solvers. And uh, it's very true that the this digital transition, which was also a digital jump for a lot of services, not just for youth work. Uh, so this digital digitalization of uh, youth work is one of the positive legacies of the COVID-19 pandemic. Hmm? I remember in the past years before we knew anything, I I think 2015, we had a conference on the future of youth work. And we were also talking during this conference on the future of youth work. We were trying to see, we were, we were, uh, it was a bit of speculative narration and we were making scenario buildings and so on. So, and there was also a trend on digitalization of youth work. And for the trend on digitalization of youth work, I remember we had somebody walk out from the conference because the person was saying youth work will never be 
fully digital. It's impossible. It's not the nature of youth work. We have to meet the young people in the youth clubs and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, a few years later, we are proven to be in a situation where we have to do exactly this, the unthinkable, the one thing we did not want to consider had to be done and in a very short uh, amount of time. Thank you, Rosanna and uh, Raresh. We are nearing the end of the podcast episode. Uh, so maybe just one brief final sentence. What would you see as a ne necessary thing to focus on in the coming period when we talk about access to youth services? And of course, it goes in line with certain youth rights. So I think, I think that... Um... Probably we should see the success to social institutions, and by saying we, I mean not only youth workers, youth researchers, but also those people who take the decisions in the field of youth policies, we have to see the success to youth services in a wider context and in a more global context, So and see it's a, it's a part of a social rights and it's a part of human rights, because uh, depending... Actually, depending on the success, uh, a lot of things depend on the success uh, and the ability to fully enjoy the rest uh, of uh, of social social services depend on on access. So I think that probably the the first uh, step would be to give more importance and to put it on a higher level in political agenda. And I think this will bring probably some practical changes or on, on the level of systems, uh, on the level of legislation or some, you know. So, so it, should, it should step out of local good initiatives or uh, initiatives of some organizations or hot spot invented initiatives. So it should, uh, should be better positioned in the political agenda, I think. Uh, because uh, it deserves, huh? this is a question which definitely should be higher uh, in the political agenda. And I think that the first step probably we should, uh, what we should do is to advocate, to, to, to better advocate for this. Thank you, Rosanna. And of course, we recall that the Council of Europe has a recommendation on young people's access to rights. And the EU, uh, at least in its youth strategy, engage, empower, connect, participation of young people in all these uh, processes is highlighted and it's on the agenda of both partner institutions. Rares, from your side, what should be one point to focus on? What would be your message? Oh, yeah, I, of course, I am going to be indisciplined and I want to focus on two points. So <laughs> one point is that uh, this is a very good uh, piece of research that we are uh, talking about. And thank you very much for doing this, it, because we need evidence and we need also European level evidence. So it's good that we have uh, people and institutions who are trying to work also on a transnational approach, because crisis is not... I, I cannot have all the problems. I cannot make all the mistakes in, in one local sector. So it's very good to know, for instance, what Youth Work Ireland is doing because this can inspire initiative and action. I don't know, somewhere in, a, in youth clubs in Holland or Ukraine. Uh, uh, so support for recovery is something we should definitely talk and try to make
make sense of what has happened to us and what is still happening to us in in this COVID-19 crisis. So very good that research and evidence is being collected, sort of process. And, And second, I think this also very good piece of research is we know some of these things. We already knew, maybe not in this form. And they are revealing the fact that there is a lack of political will when it comes to prioritizing young people and youth services. Thank you, Rarish. So quite to the point uh, where young people are in terms of um, service provision and in terms of access, as highlighted by Rosanna, but probably even more, we need to look into coverage, how widely these services are offered and uptake how much young people are taking up the services that are offered and if they are not, then why? So, of course, we can always come up with more and we need to follow up with something concrete on this. You mentioned, Rarish, also the importance of investing in recovery. And we've just uh, published another briefing on looking at the EU recovery programs and how young people and youth sector is generally reflected in it. Uh, This is also part of our research on the COVID-19 Knowledge Hub, and we will continue to do this kind of analytical work for the youth sector. From the partnership side, we think it's very important that such conversations happen. If you can have them in your organizations, take up the paper, look at the main messages and look at what resonates with you. And very soon we will publish also an illustration on the key findings of the paper to help youth organizations in particular to make it youth-friendly and user-friendly, the results of the research. And with those ending notes, we have reached an end to our episode. Thank you very much to Rosanna and Radish for participating in this podcast and to Tanya for co-hosting this episode with me. And to all the listeners, remember to follow us on Instagram at EUCOE Youth. Stay up to date with all our future content. Thank you very much and see you next time.